0: Welcome to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. I'm Patty
1: Beck. And I'm Mark Wood. This season on SageCast, we're discussing mentoring stories with Pomona students, professors, coaches, and staff who work closely together in the classroom, in the lab, and in the field.
0: Today, we're talking with music major Jeremy Taylor, a recent Pomona graduate, and Donna DiGrazia, the David J. Baldwin professor of music and choral conductor.
1: Welcome, Jeremy and Donna. Hi. Thank you for having us. Well, it's good to have you with us. Um, let's get the potentially embarrassing bit <laughs> out of the way <laughs> right here at the start um, by having you each tell us a little bit about each other, about the other. Mm-hmm. Um, Donna, how would you describe Jeremy? And Jeremy, how would you describe Donna?
2: Well, I'll, I'll <laughs> go first, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <Awkward>. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, I I met Jeremy. This is not a story that is unknown. But uh, I met first met Jeremy on his almost his first day at, at Pomona mm-hmm. on uh, Stilver Walk, and uh, what I remember first was this wonderful person with a wonderful voice, speaking voice, which always indicates to me a wonderful singing voice. <laughs> and it was a, a surprise meeting on um, uh, at the department fairs, and I said, do you sing? Yes, I do. <laughs> and uh, and, and, and I, I could just tell right away his, his warmth and sincerity. I know that seems odd to sense that right away, mm-hmm. but it was, it was very clear this was somebody who was very grounded and um, being thoughtful about what he was investigating at the time. And I I learned that that was an accurate first reading. He's a very thoughtful um, um, scholar, and I say it that way because he's not just a singer. He's a a potential or a budding musicologist um, with with uh, interest in research as well as uh, in performance. He wants to do both things. Um, He has many, many, many thoughts. And he's able to draw ideas out of oh anything he does, both musically and and, and, and uh, in hi- historically. And I'm going to get this one out of the way
1: right away. <laughs>
2: He loves peanut M and M's.
1: And is this something that endears him to you, or is it? <laughs> well, you
2: also I, love. I, the, I, the I peanut do. M&Ms? We. It's something that we share, and uh, oh, uh, <laughs> it, we've used it in good ways over the course of our five years we'll of knowing each to... <laughs> other. <peanut M&Ms. laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> oh my goodness. yeah, so to describe professor Di Grazia I, she she encourages me to call her Donna, so but but as a formal introduction, uh, Professor Di Grazia is uh, an extremely thoughtful and wise and um, what's the word hardworking, uh, really just truly truly mentoring a person and faculty member who I had the fortune to meet and to work with over the past few years. And she has taught me so many different things about uh, doing good work. One of her phrases that I've taken is quality over quantity. And she is very serious about taking on students and teaching them how to do the best they can and, and, constantly look for ways to uh, get better at things that they're passionate about or things that they want to uh, uh, say, uh, you know, do it well if you're going to do it. So I've always appreciated that about her and the peanut M <laughs> <laughs> Yep, yep. Some some great office meeting times. And she's like, Hey, Jeremy, just have some M&Ms. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, thank you. Just what you need after a long day of classes and rehearsal and That's what I say and all yeah. other things. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, our jar in the
1: communications office has run out, and I'm um, I'm in grief. No,
0: wonder yeah. you've been grumpy lately. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. will we'll have to. There's refill nothing it. that and M Ms can't fix, <laughs> <say that>. right? <laughs> you know, Amen. Changed, change the whole mood. <laughs> Clearly, it's music that brought you the two of you together, or as a mentor and mentee. Um, but tell us a little bit about your individual musical backgrounds, if you can trace back what sparked. What first sparked your interest oh. in music? Let's start with with you, Jeremy.
3: Okay. Uh, so, individual music background. It's it's an it's an interesting background because I grew up in uh, a family that attended church regularly. Uh, it was a a black church background, Pentecostal specifically, and my parents uh, were very serious about having their children grow up in that atmosphere. And so that's where most of my music background comes from, uh, singing in the youth choirs. Um, yeah, I was, I was a director of a young people's choir for a short period of time. Uh, and other than that, oh, well, there's, uh, the high schools that I went to, uh, didn't really have music programs. So I kind of had to figure out things to do. One example of that is I attended a charter school for about two and a half years and it was newly made, didn't have an alma mater. And so I said, Oh, well, I'll, you know, write an alma mater for, for a three-part harmony for a choir. <laughs> and um, you know, I didn't really have any training. I just had some words in my head and I had my, you know, church background to, to make use of it. So yeah, uh, the, kind of just being uh, w- when I saw the opportunity, I would take it to create something, and uh, that never left, uh, even through all the different classes I took and the colleges I was looking for. And so, I came here and I saw an opportunity uh, in meeting Professor DiGrazia, and and getting the invitation to audition. I said, "Oh, okay, <laughs> cool." <laughs> so yeah, that's that's
2: it. All right. Oh, well, for me, I also, um, my my uh, background in music started in the church. Um, for me, it was a Catholic church, and that was the 1970s. So um, that meant really guitar music, which is not what I might gravitate to now, but... Um, I knew how to play folk guitar a bit, and so I I was involved in that. See, there's always something to learn. Um, So I I did that a little bit. And uh, my sister, who's a little older than I am, um, is a wonderful singer. So she went through high school first and um, was in the choir. And I went to her concerts because that's what we did as a family, you know. And I was amazed at that thing that I really had never heard before um they did selections from Handel's Messiah and I was just overwhelmed it was one of the concerts one of many and I remember being so taken by that and what what is that Mm -hmm. um so going into high school myself I was an athlete so I knew I wanted to do that um tennis and volleyball um a little basketball, not too much. But anyway, uh, mm-hmm. but I also decided, well, okay, I'll try out for the choir and see if I c- can make it. She's a soprano, so that's a high voice. I am an alto, which is a low female, female voice. Um, and so I was in choir. And But I was making it up really as I went. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have any fundamentals at all, but I had a good ear mm-hmm. and I could count even though I didn't know how I was counted. So then I went to college and I had no idea I would be in music except, again, I wanted to do one more thing. And so I was like, well, I'll audition for the choir. And I got it. And the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> yeah. So it's not unlike Jeremy's no, not experience <laughs> either is that opportunities came. And was yeah. like, mm, OK, I'll, I'll follow that. Yeah.
1: Well, this this whole series of podcasts is is about mentorship, so I have to ask each of you what what does that word mean to you, and you know what is a mentor and why does it matter.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, should I start? Oh, yeah. What is a mentor, and why does it matter? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it matters because there's something about. Encountering someone who's had experience in something that the mentee wants to do and being able to learn from them and being able to, uh, in in our case, uh, sing in choirs and do music related research with them is important because they've had the experience to give you more than just the surface level of what's going on. You know, you, you get this skill to sing and you get this skill to research. But also more than that, you learn, you know, specific things about, you know, singing this certain repertoire, specific things about uh, researching this specific field, because that person has had uh, the time where, uh, e- whether or not they've had a mentor before, they, they think, I think this experience will be useful for someone after me. And so I'm going to recount it and let you know, you know, not only what I was doing, but, you know, what that experience was for me, you know, and how it felt to uh, do it. So I've learned a lot about resilience as well when it comes to uh, being a musician and being a scholar and how that path can be challenging. And And I think that's what a mentorship can add uh, on top of the skill. So. And uh, what is a mentor? What was, was that the first yeah. question?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, a lot of what I already explained. I think, you've answered, it. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. you've answered it. I just gravitated towards the second question. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I had wonderful mentors um, in, in college, two in particular, one on the music history side of things and one on the choral conducting side of things. So they gave me opportunities. Um, opportunities to succeed, but also opportunities to fail and mm-hmm. to learn from those experiences. Um, so I've, I valued that myself. But I think a mentor, at least, well, wherever it is, particularly at a liberal arts college, um, allows you to do this a little bit better than maybe at a bigger school, mm-hmm. is, to, is to mentor the whole person and to, to really learn. Um, who is this person that you're working with day in and day out? It isn't just the project we're working on, whether it's performance or or musicological or some combination of the two. It does go beyond that. And um, I don't know if I've succeeded exactly in that, but what I, what I would say is that that's how I, I view a, a good mentor is someone who gives the person they're working with It's a collaborative thing, and it's a chance to see the whole person grow, Um, and that's a really exciting thing to be part of that.
0: Perfect segue into our next question. (laughs) (laughs) One of the advantages of a smaller arts college like Pomona is the opportunities to mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Jeremy, for you. Did you come here expecting to find that kind of relationship with a faculty member, or with a mentor?
3: Uh, you know, I, I applied to liberal arts colleges because I learned from a college access counselor in high school how important a relationship with a professor is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, Jason Hamilton, shout out Arkansas Commitment, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, he talked about liberal arts colleges and and described them as, this is a place where if you want a good relationship with your professor, you would go to a type of institution like this, versus you might be a more independent student with, uh, you know, you enjoy more of a bustling, larger environment, then that would be more of your larger institution. So I knew I wanted a small institution. I didn't know who I was going to meet <laughs> because I I visited Pomona once mm-hmm. uh, during a, a fly-in. But, you know, I, I you wouldn't be able to tell me that I would meet Professor DeGrazia mm-hmm. and that would be the person that you'd be connected to. But I did know that I wanted to work with somebody, you know, just because I, I felt like getting an education uh, as an undergrad for me was... How do you find out what you're passionate about? Um, how Do you have somebody that you can talk through that with? Because um, I wanted to approach my education uh, more than just this is a means to a job, mm-hmm. but more so this is a means to finding out, uh, you know, what things you bring to whatever community you'll end up in afterward. And I wanted to see that uh, up. Up close and personal with a relationship with a faculty member.
0: Did you know then that you wanted to go into music?
3: I was telling myself that I wouldn't <laughs> because <laughs> it was a it was a struggle. I'm, I'm not gonna lie; it was mm-hmm. it was a, it was a bit of a struggle um, talking about music before college um, for all good reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family wasn't. Too encouraging about studying music. I love them very much still to this day because they're they only want what's best to me, Mm -hmm. best for me, and so talking about music wasn't um, something that I do a lot. Um, It was just you know I'd see an opportunity and I'd take it just because it wasn't you know always around. Uh, So coming here uh, to Pomona and majoring in music was a risk. Mm -hmm. It was a risk and. Um, having a mentor in in my personal situation was helpful to you know help me uh, see what it is I'm getting into because Don is very reali- realistic <laughs> you know um, you know never lied to me about what I'm getting myself into and you know if I'm going to do it you know you're going to have to know how to do it well <laughs> so you know I I entered and I took this risk um, with someone who was understanding of what this choice meant for me. So I'm very lucky.
1: Um, Donna, you, you mentioned you had uh, mentors. Um, The, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yours, who they were and what you learned from them?
2: Yes. So um, on the choral conducting side, it was uh, Albert McNeil, um, who, uh, had been a choral educator all of his life. He uh, started out um, in, with middle schools and then high schools and then um, was uh, finally a professor at uh, the University of California at Davis. He also um, is the founder and director of the Albert McNeil Jubilee Singers of Los Angeles. So he had professional life. Um, his commitment to the preservation of spirituals um, in performance had been decades long. Uh, I had heard of that group when I actually was in, when I was in high school, but I had, didn't make the connection when I ended up going to Davis. So it was a surprise. I was like, "Oh, this is who the conductor was," and um, he he encouraged me early on to follow the conducting path. He knew I also had this history side of me, and he said, "What do you want to do that for?" And he meant that <laughs> in an encouraging way because somehow he saw something in. Um, not so much my own singing ability. That's not where my strengths are. I mean, I have a serviceable voice. You know, it's okay. It's okay. But <laughs> um, but I don't aspire to be in the spotlight as a soloist or anything like that. And I think he could see that in my, in, in my personality. So he gave me opportunities to run rehearsals to begin with, sectional rehearsals. He'd send me off with the altos and with our accompanist because I couldn't play the piano at all at that time. And come back in 40 minutes and he just in some ways threw me to the wolves. I never had any prior, you know, you know, practice this so that way you know how to do it. He just send me off, which I look back at that and think wow, you know, that that was just do it, you know? And we talk music all the time and um, I learned how to put on a performance by just watching, you know, watching him and how to want, run a rehearsal to a certain extent.
1: Um, and trying yourself and failing sometimes. And of and, uh... course,
2: <laughs> of course. And in front of the whole choir, he'd say, Donna di Grazia, get up here on this table and conduct this. And I'd be like, oh. But it was, you know, then you just do it. Yeah. You're forced to do it. You don't overthink it. And I think he knew I was kind of an overthinker. So so that was also uh, helpful. He's, he's, I see, see him fairly regularly particularly jeremy's jeremy's met uh, al and uh, he's still growing going strong at 90 plus i'll say um he's a wonderful musician himself and uh just a just a wonderful educator he could see you down walking down the hallway and say do you sing come on over i think i get a little bit of that <laughs> from from him because he just would be very welcoming and mm-hmm. take students mm-hmm. where they were at and there was no one he didn't think he couldn't teach. Mm-hmm. On the history side, music history side of things was Kern Holloman, a uh, world-renowned uh, uh, Berlioz scholar. And again, he he's, he had me to be his research assistant over the summers and uh, work on, on different projects and proofread them or fact check or whatever, which is part of what the apprenticeship you know um mode is in musicology you have to learn what is musicology what is musicological research what does it really mean um and and so i i was involved in all sorts of things that again i mean he just he took a chance and he i think he knew i would follow through on things but that was probably all he knew <laughs> uh and i i had to learn a lot but i i i did learn through that and then a variety of other opportunities uh, came from
1: that, so. Yeah. The, you know, I from in what you're saying and what Jeremy said a minute ago that that you're very realistic in, in in how you talk to him about about the the things he's trying to do and it, mentorship isn't all sweetness and light. It's it's it, there's also a, some tough love involved. There's some. <laughs> right. I mean, can you talk to talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I think. It's not. It's a lot easier to say you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. That's great, and everybody likes to do that, including me. But if you're going to grow and being on the other side, you know what the competition is like. You know what the expectation is like in whatever the fields are, mm-hmm. and it. Um, I think right now we're setting a foundation for what the future for you can be, and that means the rough road. Also, that means the realities of what's out there and what mm-hmm. obstacles might come your way. And why why shield you from that? I don't think that's actually, I've never felt that that was doing Jeremy or any other student uh, a service. You want to put it in a positive light that you can do this. I believe in you. You can do this. Mm-hmm. But understand that these are the hurdles we need to walk through. Otherwise, you know, at some point someone's going to say, uh-uh. Right,
3: yeah. Yeah, I, I think that the drafting process <laughs> is the best representation uh, of what it is, because I remember, I mean, I've written a lot of things for you now. <laughs> I'm trying to think of one example. Uh, music
2: 128. Oh, dear. Music 120A,
3: <laughs> which is the first half of Western music history. I wrote an essay uh, for a test, and I came into her office hours I think this was before, or it was like during when I transitioned to being your primary advisee. So, yes. you know, this is before you know we even like knew each other <laughs> before. Peanut
0: M and before, before Peanut M and it
3: was, and that's I an important. Have said that, that's an mentorship important. is not all Peanut
1: M and Exactly. No, that's <laughs> <what I'm laughs>
3: so she, so she hands me this paper, and she's like, "Now, Jeremy." <laughs>
0: You're a wonderful butt.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want you to look at all these marks on this paper and think that I don't like what you wrote. But this is all for you to be able to write better, you know, for this <laughs> test. And, you know, college writing is a is a important skill for students to learn. And, you know, I think that I still have much to learn, but I definitely have improved over the years. Oh, yeah. But I, my writing, you know, skills and in the, in the whole drafting process has been this whole, uh, uh, experience for me to see how, as Donna said, it doesn't do someone as good service if you're not honest with them about the quality of it. And, you know, you tell them how to get better at it. And, um, if they don't turn into draft on time, you know, and <laughs> <you know, laughs> it's like, you know, well, what can I do? <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> It's a fine line sometimes between um, allowing the, yeah, okay, take another day or two days or what have you, and h- holding someone to a it's deadline because, again, in, in, <laughs> when you're out there, an editor wants your work. Or the performance happens, we don't get to say, <laughs> uh, we need another day, Right,
1: yeah, <laughs> you, right, you yeah. know? Audience, um, go home. Come back tomorrow. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's
2: trying to be flexible while also helping, you know, to, to grow in the, I do need to meet this, yeah. this deadline or whatever it is. Right? Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. We've talked a little bit about how or what your re- mentorship looks like. us uh, and, and you told us how you guys met. Tell, tell us about the things that you've done together. Classes you spoke a little bit about classes like um, you joined choir glee club. Tell us a little bit about the things you've worked together.
1: In fact, you when you left us off, you had been invited
3: to audition. How did the audition go? Oh, it <laughs>
0: <well>. <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, I didn't. I wasn't that good of a sight reader at the time, but I had rhythm, and mm-hmm. so she was like, "Oh, I can tell you have rhythm." And I was like, "Yep, yeah, I got that." Um, but other than that, the audition was fine (laughs) it
2: was really good let me just tell you you don't I don't think you remember this but uh, (laughs) but I I said something along the lines of you have all of this wonderful talent this is a fantastic voice now if I didn't say those things out loud I think I did but I know I thought them um and I knew right away this was a very special gift Mm-hmm. um that Jeremy has in his voice. I didn't know about his uh musicological and theoretical mind and how it worked yet. Um but on a pure performance level this was this is a special gift and I still think that. And it's grown a lot in his time here. So yeah. It was amazing. No. Yeah. <laughs> the sight sight reading isn't everything. Not, <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's but not. I also said we were going to work we're gonna on work we're going to work to yeah. make sure that things Go better, you know, get better, so Mm -hmm. um, you don't just ride on your gift alone. Because if you want, if one wants a Mm -hmm. um, a a career that involves performance, which we weren't talking about then necessarily, at a certain point, everybody has a gift, and so what what singles you out? How Mm -hmm. do you um, how do you uh, make yourself in many ways better than everyone else? It's you know. how you stand out. Yeah, how mm-hmm. you stand out. Thank you.
1: <laughs> so I threw that in the. But let's go back to, oh, uh, to but, Paige's original question, which is, um, yeah, you um, know, walk us through the rest of your relationship and how right. how it developed.
3: Yes, teacher, definitely. Uh, I've taken a couple of courses for the music major. I've done some independent studies as well. Um, she is also my choir conductor. Uh, you know, studying. Nightly, well, not nightly. Tuesdays, Thursdays, sometimes extra days, you know. But as needed, um, when I was research faculty mentor, I'm a Mellon Mays undergraduate fellow, and when I filled out the form, you know, who's your primary research? I was like, oh, Donna Degrassi. of course, <laughs> like it has to be. Uh, sir, our research mentor as well. I've done uh, three consecutive summer research projects with, with Professor DiGrazia Grazia as well, and so um, can I call you Donna? For yeah, the please the do. Yeah, I've, I've been waiting. Was, I'm <laughs> switching I'm like, Okay, just <laughs> okay. Yeah. thank you. I've
2: graduated <laughs> yeah. now.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> even before that, that's fine. Okay. What about um music fifty one?
3: Oh yes, so I uh, helped work out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Before, I,
2: <laughs> okay. Well, let's do that again. Yeah.
3: So, <laughs> how about I, Music Fifty One? Yeah, Music Fifty One. I did a little light organization, organizational help with uh, with Donna uh, to prepare for the course, and I was also a, a peer mentor during the course. And I'd uh, come and I'd help students out with their presentations, and I. Yeah, I think yeah. I did a little musical demonstration once. Uh, so and you did
2: you did mentor sessions as well. Mentor yeah.
3: sessions as well. Yes. Sometimes I forget uh, <laughs> uh, what I do. I think I I I feel like I'm missing something. I talked about melon. I said. I said Oh, your thesis! Yes, of course. So yes, thesis advisor as well, which was a which was a great process. I I was always looking forward to doing my thesis. I don't know how many people say that, but <laughs> I always was, and so I was very happy with. Donna and and Jody, Professor Rockwell, uh, as well. So
2: and also um, Gwendolyn and uh, yes, Professor
3: Professor Gwendolyn Lytle and mm-hmm. Professor Melissa Givens. Mm-hmm. They were helping me uh, create the senior lecture recital uh, that I did uh, to complement the written thesis, and so it was it was a it was the combination of so many great faculty members to help me uh, do something that you know I. I couldn't have been happier with that.
2: So, Professor Lytle and and Professor Givens were working on the on the singing part of the lecture recital, yes. mm-hmm. and um, Professor Rockwell and I were we were um, working on the lecture side coming out of your thesis. Lecture
3: side, yeah. and so it was a real collaboration. Yeah. So yeah, I I yeah Donna, you you you've probably been there like ninety five percent ninety five percent of the things I did post sophomore year because. We didn't even talk about my first year yet. <laughs> I was doing so many different other classes, were. which were fine. They were great. They were great. But uh, after sophomore year, it was it was working. I'll awesome.
2: admit, I wasn't sure you were going to stay with choir. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Um, not because I thought you didn't like it or not because you weren't good enough, but I knew you had many interests and i always worry about this with the first year students will they stay with it or mm-hmm. will something else mm-hmm. happen and ha- happen and it's so uh, easy to get involved in it is. A, lot of,
1: a lot of things and get over committed and
2: to get over committed and also to not necessarily see yet what the value might be of sticking with this program and really growing through it, Mm. um, regardless of one's major. So I was a little nervous that first semester. Will he stay with it? Mm -hmm. But But I did. But you did. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank goodness. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that
3: sums Um, it
1: up. mm -hmm. Donna, between... You you mentioned you have have students who are music majors and students in every discipline. I mean, between classes and in the ensembles you lead, you work with a lot of students. How do you make time to uh, work with students like Jeremy one on one?
2: Well, it takes some creative <laughs> scheduling, um, and and in Jeremy's case, we did especially this last year. Um, we scheduled time. You know, he was working on his thesis. And in the fall semester, that was through senior colloquium. So I knew he had a regular sort of check-in time with with that um, structure. But in the spring semester, it was a little more open. But but really, I think both semesters we did this, but I'm remembering this last semester the most clearly, is we'd schedule uh, usually Friday morning, 8.30 mm-hmm.
3: breakfast. It's 8.30
2: at 40 Pretty, uh, seconds 40 Second street bagel 42nd <laughs> street bagel yeah and so we'd go Not down p. there M&M's. no peanut M&M's. No, m&ms no um and um, post 12 p.m. lox and at lox and what is it lots of nova lox nova lox, lox, lox,
3: lox, 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 lox bagel yeah that's yeah, it yeah
2: and right and so then we'd sit and talk about all sorts of things and map out the next the next mm-hmm. time schedule. So it was. it's really a, a matter of making sure mm-hmm. that there was at least that time. Some, for a little while we had a little bit more time as things were coming towards, you know, the crunch hour, which I, I think all students who are doing a thesis or a recital all of a sudden is like, oh, I've got this much time and I have to do it. Um, and so scheduling it in, not that there couldn't be the, the moment of just popping in my office, of, of course that's always – available. But in Jeremy's case, there was more intentionality about um, uh, programming or scheduling time. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. I don't think that I could ever be as creative with scheduling as you (laughs) have been. Because even even with uh, advisees, you also do so many other different things for the college also, you know, committees and... Supplements, music yeah. supplements, and, yeah. you know, meetings with other other people across campus. So, you know, I probably only know a fraction of everything Donna does here. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody works hard, mm-hmm. so it's all good.
0: Jeremy, you mentioned that... Um... Now you see music as an academic and a professional path, but Mm. maybe four years ago wasn't the case. So Mm -hmm. two part question: Mm -hmm. What were some of your interests before you uh, (laughs) decided on music as my jam? Yeah, and um, how? (laughs) Sorry, I had to. Couldn't help myself. And then, um, and talk to us about how you decided to. And you, you mentioned MMUF. If you want to mention that, and how do you see that as as a future now that you've recently graduated?
3: Yeah. Well, I've I've always wanted to see what it's like to have a career in academia. So, I have always wanted to be a professor. It was like a professor of what? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm.
2: He said that in one of the first days that we met. Mm-hmm. I want to be a professor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Yeah, I I do very much value education and the act of uh teaching which in in favorable cases can turn into mentorship. So, um before I was thinking about politics. I was thinking about computer science. I was thinking about English. Um you know, I never uh, took a class, but I always did like theater. Yeah. Uh, but I took classes my first year in all of those uh, uh, disciplines I mentioned. And uh, I was looking at them and all of them are professors that I really enjoyed working with. And and it's a testament to how great the faculty here at Pomona College really are. The fact that even if, God forbid, I had not you know gone down this path with donna there are so many other professors available to work with uh, i'm not going to do shout outs because that'll that'll <laughs> cause all kinds of problems but i do still keep in contact with a lot of them to this day um so yeah i was thinking i was thinking of those fields uh, uh, specifically mm-hmm. yeah
0: and how did you now how did you, that how did you navigate now then okay
3: it was uh it, it was the most I mean, I couldn't have predicted it. What happened? I met this woman who works at the Tranquada Center. I can't remember her name. I feel so bad for not being remembering her name. But she told me about the Mellon Mays Undergraduate Fellowship that was coming next semester. And she had asked me, oh, what do you like? You know, you want to be a professor? I was like, yes, I want to be a professor. And so she was like, oh, well, you know, the Mellon Mason undergraduate Fellowship does humanities degrees. And I was like, humanities, like like they'll, you know, it's a fellowship for humanities. Nowadays, you see a lot of them for STEM, uh, uh, STEM degrees. And so I was like, oh, this is a rare opportunity. And so I did some research on the Mellon Mays Fellowship and how it was coming to the Claremont Colleges. And I saw musicology there. And I was like, I've seen that word before. And I remember because my emails with Donna had musicology at the bottom of the first. I was like, oh, okay, so let me look that up. So I started looking up musicology and I was like, oh, this is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I could make a case to my parents about. But it's also an opportunity for me to follow professorship as well as music, and so I said, "Why not? (laughs) Like, why not see where this path goes?" Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm I'm so sorry I can't remember her name. Uh, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna look it up and and get back to you about that. So you can put that in the put that in the transcript (laughs) (laughs) in brackets. (laughs) But yes, I think it was that moment. Cause I called my mom that, that very day I found Mm -hmm. out about it. And Mm -hmm. I, and I told Donna about it too, Mm -hmm. that I wanted to apply for it. So yeah, it was the fellowship, uh, that, that gave me the sort of confidence Mm -hmm. to, to say, this is something I want to study. This is a program that will invest in you for doing that. And it's, uh, uh, centered towards, uh, students in minority, uh, communities. So, Yeah.
1: Yep, yep. Um, so Jeremy was, was talking about his own sort of struggle with what he wanted to do and how he ended up in music and is happy there um, I'm sure and, and of course Donna you work with a lot of students who are probably trying to make those same decisions uh, how do you guide them?
2: You know it's uh, that's. I think it's tricky because um, they're Aren't a plethora of jobs in music, whether it's as a professor or in performance, um, and especially in performance, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you make it, quote unquote, it can be for all sorts of reasons mm. beyond just your talent, your there are gift. Talented people and who don't make it. Exactly right. Um, and that's not to disparage anybody or anything. It's just a fact of the business. So, so how to encourage someone without leading you down the path of, oh, sure, you're going to be the blah, blah. It, it, there are so many unknowns. So you have to walk through that carefully. And each student is different in what their goals are and where their strengths lie. So, I don't think I can even generalize other than to say how I've had many long conversations with current students and with alumni who have either tried to follow this path or thinking about following this path or have decided then to go down another path. Um, and each one, you just have to hear, listen. You know, you have to be a good listener and try to figure out. What do they really want to do? And do they know what they're getting into? Or can I provide an opportunity to allow them to see what it is that they might be getting into?
0: Um, Let's transition into music ensembles. Um, Start with Jeremy. Can you tell us about your experience uh, with Glee Club and how did your years in Glee Club shape you
3: let me see if I remember everything. <laughs> I tend to forget sometimes. So, All
2: right,
0: there's Choir
3: Ankley Club. So, what is the Glee Club? The Glee Club is a chamber ensemble. It's a it's a choir. It's not like the TV show. I I get that often. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're in the Glee Club. I was like, it's not the Glee Club. <laughs> you're thinking about. It's better. Not, no, no, not <laughs> that kind of yeah. but yeah, uh, it's it's an ensemble for uh, a smaller group of students mm-hmm. than the college choir, which averages about sixty to 70, 80 eighty-ish singers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this group is about. Uh, 28 this past semester, and uh, that's soprano alto, tenor, bass, and so I've been in the group for five years now, and I have had the opportunity to sing a lot of uh, advanced choral repertoire. Uh, you work on music where you'll either double on a part, or you might be the only person on a part, or you might switch from one part to the other uh so it it oh and there's the uh handling of different languages that is involved with that too and so i'd say that experience for me has been just a repertoire builder first of all you know so many songs over the years i can over the years (laughs) it's one of the songs uh i i've just been able to say oh i sang that and you know i can listen to it again you know if i if i if i want to and and so it, it's it's been a time where i grow as a musician because you're learning how to collaborate with other people and you're learning how to sing extended passages and you're learning how to breathe well and you're learning how to blend you're learning how to sing in different spaces uh, is it a live room? Is it dry? You know, um, what if you're sick? What do you do? You know, you, you say, <laughs> but, but you do it healthily. So it's, it's been, it's been a great experience for me to, to learn how to work with others to bring out the message of a piece to sort of, uh, hone my sensitivity, uh, uh, for, for the music and being able to bring it, bring it to life, you know, for, for the audience. So. Yeah, yeah, it is not easy. It's not easy. Yeah.
1: Donna, you mentioned
3: that um, you know
1: students don't always know what they have to gain from persisting with something like this. What do they have to gain from persisting? You well, know, Not just the choir and glee club, but there are a lot of other musical ensembles right. at the college and right. other kinds of things. And they
2: can, it's not even just yeah. related to music, right. So it's um, being a- able to really... Um, have an in-depth experience with whether it's a topic, whether it's a style or a variety of styles in in musical cases. Um, so you can it's it's more than that first exposure. Mm-hmm. You know, when you first when when I first learned how to write, I thought I knew how to write. But the more you write, the more you know how how nuanced things can be and how your life experience and your perspective and the contributions of those around you change the way you write or in this case the way you sing and what you can bring to that and what the creative process does not only for you as a as a growing thinking person but also to those who hear your work or read your work. Um, so it's an, a, a time to really be able to go beyond the trying out stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to do as an undergraduate. This is a time to do to do that, to explore in a more in-depth way. What are you,
0: s- question for both of you, what are some of the best memories you have from Glee Club or choir? Mm.
1: Do you want me to go
0: yeah. She's looking at you,
1: though. Well, <coughs> we didn't ask for your worst oh, memories. No. Just your best memories. The
2: best can be taken in a lot of ways. Yeah, I do, I do. Uh,
3: the best criticism. No, just no. Uh, the, the. Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think. There are a lot. There are mm-hmm. there are a whole lot. Uh, maybe I'll talk about, like, three. Yeah. I don't know how much time we have right now. <laughs> I have the opportunity to. I've had the opportunity to be a choir manager. I'm putting my hands under the table. I've had the opportunity to be a choir manager, and so I've worked behind the scenes, uh, uh, organizing a lot of uh, the materials for the choir and. And uh, Donna does this thing where she gets pastries for the choir managers as they <laughs> stamp the music and put it up. And then we put, create the folders, 80 plus folders of music. And and then we're putting them in boxes and we're counting and we got catalog cards. And so um, I really like that kind of busy work. I like organizing things. And, uh, you know, Donna, had. I'm, I'm assuming you've had to do that a lot by yourself before you had... Ah uh, students to help you out, and so uh, I think collaborating with Donna uh, behind the scenes has always been uh wonderful because she really appreciates you know the help and uh, you get to see her joke more and <laughs> and all that uh, now, actually, in the moment uh, uh singing, I've had a couple solos uh, that I've been able to uh, do with the choir and the Glee club, and uh for. Uh, which one? It was for the Glee Club. We did a spiritual, I uh, got a home in it at Rock uh, by Moses Hogan. And Donna comes into a voice lesson with me and my voice professor, Professor Cornell Lytle. Lionel. I still have the recording. I record my voice lessons uh, because Professor Lytle says that it's a great tool. And so I have a recording of us all <laughs> laughing as as I'm rehearsing, and I have this habit where I you know add notes, you know, and and you know, it's like that's not on the score. And, you know, that's like that's what I told them. And then they're laughing, and then I'm laughing. So uh, I <laughs> I just enjoy those those moments of proud. And then when you're on the stage, uh, say on tour, and you're doing it for the upteenth time, you know, you you you've worked hard, you prepared for it, you know all of the things that you've invested in it. But as always, something happens <laughs> during a performance, and so we have this glance <laughs> sometimes. You know, we can't wait. Like something happens. And I look at her, and she looks at me like, oh. it's like, well, you know, we just keep going. So a remix. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, yeah, a lot of my moments are are tied around, uh, you know, just we've we've both invested a lot into this this piece or this process, and you know, seeing it come to life, you know, in in, in all its quirky and beautiful ways, you know, you just get to share that, so yeah. <laughs>
2: well, I'll say uh, I'll mention a couple things. So. Um, uh, I I try to uh, have experiences in places where one might never get to sing again when we're on tour. Mm. So we've sung at the Washington National Cathedral. We just did that mm. last Sunday. Sunday yeah. uh, or two Sundays or two ago. Sundays. Yeah. Um, you've got you've been able to do that. Um, you sung in St Mark's in Venice. You sung in St Peter's in. Rome, mm. were, it just sounded fantastic. They sounded fantastic. There was a, a little bit of a kerfuffle before it all started, <laughs> oh, yes. and
1: yeah, oh, yes. uh, we won't go well. into that.
2: There was <laughs> a later. local choir that thought that they were singing that day, and they weren't. Mm-hmm. But it was quite a deal to get it all sorted out. <laughs> and luckily, hmm. I'll say luckily, I think, but um, we hmm. had arrived. Right on time, so we were sitting where we were supposed to sit, and um, I told the choir, Don't move, don't move. <laughs> yeah. So it all worked yeah. out, it was fine, but uh, yeah. uh, so I, I think of that, I think of you singing um, spirituals, of course, but I also think of you singing uh. Fr- a solo in the Bach by um, which is, of course, a whole different style. And Jeremy worked so hard. He actually had two solos, uh, one by himself and one with uh, Professor Givens, a duet. Mm-hmm. And this was just a year ago, February, a mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, um, um, year ago in the fall. Yeah. And you worked so hard. And I knew you could do it, but I don't know that you knew you could do it I to was, begin I was with
3: a little nervous. yeah because it's nervous. a whole different got a thing clip. that's one of the clips yeah. that okay. i have yeah. you. Yeah. and
2: you absolutely did it but i know you worked hard so those are the the moments when we can see the different facets of of you you and your your talent so
1: yeah so let's move on to research um, Jeremy, um, tell us about your study of African-American sacred music. Um, how did you decide on that as a mm. research topic and how did you approach it? Oh, wonderful
3: question. Oh, I love talking about this. <laughs> so I, I, I mentioned that, you know, a lot of my background was, uh, in the black church or African-American church. Um, yeah, that's, that's another topic. <laughs> yeah. that's another. Anyway, uh, I, I, I was very fortunate to be able to say to Donna, oh, this is what I want to research. And Donna was like, well, OK, <laughs> you know, let's let's do it. So my first SERP, my uh, do we need to explain that acronym? Yeah. OK. My first SERP was uh, looking into the transitions of African-American sacred music. Mm-hmm. So how do we understand the transition in, let's say, the 17 and 1800s from spirituals to gospel to modern gospel and all the different sub in between, uh, that was my first SERP. My second SERP was looking into the life and legacy of Dr. Albert McNeil, uh, Donna's mentor and his ensemble, the Albert J. McNeil Jubilee Singers of Los Angeles. And, uh, That gave me the opportunity to see his documents, his touring documents in a special collections library in uh, Cal State, Dominguez Hills. I, I confused the Cal State and UC. Yeah, which which one goes where? I'm not from here. but um, I'm
2: From Arkansas. Yeah, I'm from Arkansas. I yeah. not.
3: Oh, really? Yeah. What city? Batesville. Batesville. Uh, I I was in Little Rock, and now my family's in North Little Rock right now. Oh, oh yeah. cool. I played a soccer team in Batesville. <laughs> <laughs> Our charter schools went to the craziest cities. It's neither here nor, yep. nor. Okay, so, uh, yes, my second SERP was uh, looking into that. Now, my third SERP. I interviewed six different African-American choir conductors about their process of rehearsing spirit concert spirituals with their different ensembles. They were all African-American men, but they worked with different kinds of ensembles. One was at the HBCU Fisk University, another was at St. Olaf College. That's the name of it, right? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm like yeah. I'm nervous for a second. Anton Armstrong. At Anton Santa. Armstrong at Saint Olaf College and Paul Kwame at Fisk University and if we're going to go down the line. Andre yeah. Thomas at at uh, Florida, State. Florida State University and Jeffrey Ames at Belmont University and Roger Holland at Denver University University of Denver, University of Denver and. <laughs> And Arthur Jones, also at University of Denver. So, uh, I've had this. Uh, and he ex- did this without notes, so I'll tell you for the radio <laughs> people who are listening. Yes, yes. <laughs> you, please me. Uh, so I, I've just been able to really take a interesting track with all my different uh, research projects that really do trace a line towards my, you know, final project. Uh, with my thesis and everything but my research if I were to distill it down to like my main questions have to do with what is the history of the Negro spiritual how do we understand its history based off of what documents survive Um, what are questions that remain unanswered uh, to this day how do we perform this music how do we keep it alive yeah, and then uh, getting really deep into it, what are our understandings of identity as they have to, as they relate to the spiritual? How does the spiritual reflect the African American experience? And then what does it mean for musicians of other identities to find something meaningful in it too? And what does that, you know, say that interaction? <laughs>
0: yeah. And Donna, how do you go about supporting
3: students' research such as Jeremy's?
2: Well, um, I think, first of all, it's making students aware that there are these opportunities, um, especially in the humanities and perhaps even performing arts fields, although musicology straddles those two areas, um, uh, is that there are even research opportunities. Uh, They may not take the same kind of shape as working in a lab. For the sciences, for example, um, but they're there if you if you you know want to seek them out. So um, it's making students aware of the program in the first place, helping them come up with ideas that might work mm-hmm. from a historical perspective. At least I'll say that. Um, uh, in talking about the spiritual, I said, okay, well, that fir- the first one it was well, you need to understand the history of it. So that's how that first, spirit, uh, first serp um, happened, and then um, I was looking at archival research. I really wanted Jeremy to see what archival research in musicology is like. You wanted to know about the Albert McNeil Jubilee Singers um, mm-hmm. as as a successor in certain ways to the very first. Jubilee Singers in the United States, the Fisk Jubilee Singers. So that was a tradition that the, mm-hmm. the McNeil Singers were trying to follow. So um, since Al was my mentor, I knew where his he had placed his archival materials, and that was at Cal State Dominguez Hills. So we went down, and I, I didn't know exactly what we were going to find because that material has not been catalogued. It still hasn't been catalogued. Um, but I knew the kinds of things that would be there, and it was so fun getting to watch you go, wow, mm-hmm, <laughs> at all of this material. And then we worked up a system of how to you know keep track of what was happening, what, was, what we would find, mm-hmm. and how we might find it again if then we went back or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we built on that for his third SERP you know and I said well why don't you go and interview you know some conductors who who do this and who have lived with this and have to make these decisions all the time I mean I know I do but I'm a white woman I'm not a you know I'm not black so what does it mean when you're a conductor conducting an all-black ensemble or a mixed ensemble or a white ensemble do you program this music? And what do you do with these questions of dialect and vocal timbre and tone and improvisation? As it turned out, those are the three that you focused on, but Mm -hmm. um, we talked about a variety of possibilities and, you know, Get out there and talk with with these people. Some of them are, are at the highest level of exposure and expertise um, in the United States. So luckily, they were willing to talk with you, yeah. and so you you did. So it's trying to find ways that students can follow what they're interested in, and and that will be productive for the for the long term. If that's the you know if that's what the student then wants to do.
1: Jeremy, um, Donna just mentioned some of the areas that you were focusing in on. Um, can you boil down your findings for us? <laughs> <coughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, we don't have too hey. many more hours. <laughs> right, right.
3: Oh man, boil it down. I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd call them findings. I just find it, find it. I, yeah. I. I I describe them as this is the way that it's done right now. Mm -hmm. And so if we're talking about what she mentioned, dialect, vocal tone, color, and improvisation, those main areas I was looking at, what are the ways that in contemporary times, we approach these three Mm -hmm. uh, uh, areas of performance. And so as far as dialect is concerned, there are varying approaches to performing spirituals in some sort of dialect. Uh, And that dialect is described as what you understand as the spoken language of, are we thinking 17, 1800s? Mm -hmm. Are we thinking mid 1800s, 1900s? there, There are historical markers for the ways that spirituals have been set in different ways. And so the 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 question or the issue lies in how do we best represent the language of this music? Because it is a vocal music, language is tied in with it. And so if we're performing it, how do we perform it or uh, are we I don't want to say the a word authenticity. Yeah. <laughs> <I know>. uh, <laughs> are we are we performing it in a certain way to give it authenticity, or or something that you know is a is a better word than that? I don't I I I don't really like that word to in mm-hmm. this conversation anymore because it's it gets sticky and yeah. so because everything evolves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, everything evolves, and so. Yeah, uh, performing with dialect. Are we are we going what we call Negro dialect? Are we going to perform it with Negro dialect? Are we going to modify it? Are we only going to sing in a certain vernacular where we drop some consonants? You know, you know, morph some vowel sounds, or are we going to sing it with standard American English where we're not trying to you know modify the language? We're going to sing it, uh, uh, in, a, in in the way that it's written. Some in the way some are written, uh, being in standard American English. So those are the three main camps mm-hmm. under that topic. And I talked about ways that performing with Negro dialect is important based off of uh, important historical writings by African-American uh, musicians and, and educators like James Weldon Johnson, who says spiritual should be performed with dialect. And mm-hmm. here are some ways that you should approach it um but of course there are transcription issues with that and i'm moving on to the next topic so <laughs> vocal, tone, yeah. vocal tone color this 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 topic is also sticky because we're we're thinking about spirituals right mm-hmm. and if we're thinking about the performance of them what's that image who are we thinking is performing them and then how do we attach who we think should perform them to how we think they should sound in other words should you sound black when you're singing a spiritual? What does that mean to sound yeah. black? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it mean to sound anything, for that matter? And so, my my discussion of a vocal tone color is was perhaps uh, uh, at at its beginning stages, as far as theory is concerned, because this is uh this is a topic that uh, is being written about more and more this year. Actually, I bought this book that came out. In the middle of my thesis, and it would have been perfect, but I, I didn't have the chance to read it about the race of sound. And so, uh, in my thesis, I wanted to talk about <laughs> I wanted to talk about that and talk about if we're if we're not trying to say that a voice should sound black when they're performing them, what types of of performance notes, what types of guidance should we give them, and and so what's a better way around it. And then the last one, stylized improvisation or ornamentation, has to do with style. You know, spirituals have been arranged and, and recorded uh, multiple times across, across the centuries. And those, those periods reflect stylistically uh, uh, the music of their time. And so what does it mean to sing a spiritual like a gospel song? Uh, what does it mean to sing a gospel song like a spiritual? I didn't, we didn't go there, but <laughs> so, something yeah. that I'd like to go into. But talking about how do we sing this music with an attention to its history, history musically, and how are we blurring boundaries if we're if we're uh, going to sing it in a certain improvisatory or ornamental style, and that would take some examples and. I would have the iPad with the, the thirty-second examples, but I didn't bring it. But yeah, uh, performing th- this this thesis is just you know a representation of the fact that performance is is so much more complicated than I think people realize. You know, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying what you hear. There's nothing wrong with saying, "Oh, I really like that," or "I really like the way that you sing it." But but a lot of deliberate attention and a lot of, uh, of 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 historical information goes a long way to to making a a performance that is really impactful so yeah taking the time to look underneath you know just the fact that i'm opening my mouth and using my diaphragm you know that's that's what it that's what it boils down to I hope that was good. (laughs) I hope that was good. (laughs) That was great. (laughs)
0: Made sense to me.
3: No, good. Good. So glad.
0: (laughs) Uh, Donna, part of your scholarship has been in early 17th century English sacred music. Are there connections between your work and
2: what Jeremy's research? Um, Well, uh, there is in the sense that I came to that topic through performance. Okay. And... In many ways, you've come to your topic through performance, what you knew before you came to Pomona,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, your solo singing, and your, to a certain extent, your choral singing. Um, so I um, had an opportunity to have a, a NEH summer fellowship, mm-hmm. and um, so I needed a topic, and <laughs> so I had, I had worked on several settings of, of this same text and that begat a whole, a whole project. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess I should step back from that and say the reason I even knew that music in the first place was way back in my first year as a, as a um, graduate student uh, master's degree student and we had a sabbatical replacement and that person was uh, Martin Neary who at the time was the master of the choristers at Winchester Cathedral okay. and eventually at Westminster Abbey um, and I in fact wasn't even going to be part of the choral program that semester because I was studying or quarter I was studying for my master's degree exams And I thought, okay, I have to cut out this extra. I was the TA for the big choir, but for the chamber choir, I need to not do it. And I was down in the office studying at their first rehearsal, and I heard this (laughs) stuff going on. And they weren't even doing English Cathedral music. They were doing Handel's Dixit Dominus. But it was a different way of rehearsing than I had experienced. And I heard they would sing like two bars, and then they'd stop and then they'd sing two bars and then they'd stop i'd be like what is going on down I need there to find out. so i kind of walked down there and it was the the detail with which he was working with the choir and the sound he was getting from that and i thought okay i think i need to be part of that so i was and there was a little party after that concert and He had recordings on of this music I had never heard, and it was English cathedral music. In fact, it was William Byrd's Laudibus in Sanctis. And I couldn't believe that sound. I had no idea. I'd never encountered it at all, and I wanted to know more about it. So then I would, you know, as I started as a conductor, I wanted to perform it. And so then it moved into the historical side of things. Mm. And it brought me to the British Library and looking at manuscripts and um yeah. It, it, I've been lucky that my career has allowed me to do the two things that early on as an undergraduate, once I said I wanted to major in music and then, well, I don't want to go to law school. I'm going to continue in music. What would you like to do? Well, I'd really like to do both. I'd like to perform. Well, I'd like to conduct is what I said. and I, But I'd really like to do music history too. Mm-hmm. And luckily that's panned out and that's probably only because I'm at a liberal arts college. It'd be impossible to do that at a large research university. So,
1: okay, Jeremy, you you recently graduated, uh, so <laughs> Sad, looking back sadness. at your yeah, looking back at your four years <coughs> at Pomona, I mean, you know, tell us about your overall experience at Pomona. Was it everything you expected? Hmm,
3: no, I <laughs> no. I couldn't have expected everything that would have happened. I'm very glad that I chose to come here. Uh, when I when I uh came here as a high school student and I flew in, um, it. I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't have the best experience. Uh, as a prospect coming in, there was some roommate things that it's a funny story really (laughs) not going to go into it but the admissions office knows what i'm talking
2: about (laughs) i did not know you during that visit yeah we didn't come i didn't and i didn't
3: submit a Mm -mm. music supplement i didn't do anything um but when i came here finally i was happy to be here because this was a place that had so many different resources first of all uh one of the things that the admissions office like to say is we're a small liberal arts liberal arts college with the resources of a large university and what student wouldn't like that you know that sounds great you know um but then there's all the stuff that you can get into all the things that you can learn all the clubs that you can be a part of um, and then because I decided to take the choir route, I was able to go to all those places that Donna mentioned and I was able to sing all the music that I mentioned. And so uh, at the end of my time here, I'm... I'm sort of thinking about like, how do I how do I record all this stuff that I've been able to do? Because sometimes I forget. I was doing my resume the other day. And, and you know, of course Donna was there helping me. And she's like, Don't you remember you did that? I was like, Oh yeah, I did do that too. You know, I you know, there's just so much to there's so much to get involved in here. And I think that uh, my advice to uh, any student, you know, looking to apply here who have asked me in the past, I was like, yeah, look into it. Find out what they have. Find out if the resources that they have uh are are something that helps you do or or helps you find out what you're interested in. Because once you do come here and you uh find a good faculty mentor and you find the resources in the clubs, you know, there's so much that you can go so deep into it. And you can and you can go so far as well. So yeah, I'm very grateful.
1: Yeah.
0: Donna, tell us about Jeremy's evolution as a music scholar and a performer. Wow,
2: well, those are big questions. <laughs> so uh, I guess the, the thing that I can say is he's learned many things. But um, one is how to take all of those ideas that run around in his head and when he's really up against the deadline to say, okay, I've I've got to put them down on this paper somehow. And you've gotten a lot better at that because all the ideas are there. Mm -hmm. Um, He's been really good at learning and being open to learning in the first place which we take for granted, but actually not everybody wants to be, not everyone comes being really open Mm -hmm. to learning. Mm -hmm. Um, But Jeremy has been that way from the start and building on that learning. So there was quite a lot of our curriculum that was new to you. And yet um, I think not only was it, well, okay, I have to learn it. I'm willing to learn it. But it stuck with you. I like to think it's partly because it's not only um, through reading and listening, but it's also the doing, you know, so that's the beauty of of music is you get to engage with it on many different levels. And it's why I've programmed the way I've programmed with a wide variety of, of things that build skills, but also style and repertoire, be, you know, knowledge. Yeah. So, um, so so it's always surprising he'll come in <laughs> I was this just happened today. So I happen to be playing just a clip of something that he sang in his very first semester with the choir, an anonymous piece from uh, 15th, the 15th century. It's called Hallelujah, a New Work." And in fact, that the, the text has his name in it it references biblically the prophecy of David and Jeremy and I can remember in that first semester every once in a while looking right at him and he getting this big smile on his face Uh, but it was playing and he popped into my office just this morning and started singing it started singing his part in it and um, uh, that was really special you know he that was five years ago there's no reason you would remember that Mm -hmm. but but he's able to build on what he learns. That's really great.
1: Uh, This is for both of you. Um, What advice do you have? Going back to the question of mentorship, (laughs) (laughs) what advice do you have for students coming into a college like this about finding a mentor? I I know there's a certain degree of luck involved, but um, are there things that you can do to
3: improve your chances? (laughs) Five ways to get a good mentor. <laughs> oh well, uh, I think that, ooh, yeah, there are a lot of different, there are a lot of different mentor relationships out there. I think ours is just one example, um, of of many that work very well for the people involved. Um, I think that there's a level of of transparency and trust involved. And so that takes time to build. And so I think for the student who wants to find a good mentor, being upfront with what your goals are, being upfront with what you think you want to learn from the mentor, being open to learning more than just that from from a mentor. Um, Yeah, Uh, I think that here at Pomona College, all the professors tend to do really amazing things. And I think students should take the time to find out uh, just what kind of environment they're entering and, and, you know, being willing to ask the professor questions. I love how Donna answers all my questions. I have lots of questions for just randomly, you know, about her experiences, about what she knows. And if she doesn't know, she'll be like, oh, I don't know, you know, maybe, you know, but I, I've always been able to uh, uh, have a, conversational a conversation with her that has always been reciprocal reciprocal yeah you know, i ask her questions she asks me questions and you know uh it's definitely uh, the type of mentor relationship where she challenges me i don't challenge i i don't challenge i wasn't raised that way yeah. but like i said yeah. mentor relationships are different you know but you know uh yeah i'd say just be open to learning things from from the person that you didn't expect. Um, but also, you know, know know at least a little bit of n- not necessarily what you want or what you uh, or like what your career has to be because not every student comes in like that, but but have an idea of like what what motivates you to learn. you know, what motivates you to do something. Uh, for others, and not just for yourself, and, and come to come to the faculty mentor with that.
2: Uh, I want to make it clear that I've learned a lot from Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> and the reciprocal nature of our interaction ha- ha- is exactly on point, I think. Um, I don't want to speak for you, but I've never had the sense that you didn't feel like you could say what you wanted to say or what you believe or the path you wanna go down. On any topic, it doesn't have to be the projects topic. And um, even if it was hard to say or or what have you. So so it's I, I've not seen it as a top down thing, although I understand why you would say, you know, challenge me in in that particular way. I I, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. But yeah. i I s I've no, I've tried to create an environment where we can just Talk, and I've relied on your, on your counsel many times. Um, so I'll say that open the openness and the trust is really important. Mm-hmm. But how do you find a mentor to begin with? Um, I think I'd encourage any student to go talk to a professor mm-hmm. at Pomona College. That couldn't be easier, really. And yet, if you don't walk through the door and and open yourself to a conversation. A professor can't really know, do you want to have that kind of interaction? They might poke around a little bit, but there there has to be that, that openness to it in, in the first place. Go talk to us, come in and ask questions. That's why most of us anyway, I'd like to say all of us, but I'll at least say most of us are here. And we want to be helpful in whatever ways fit you. There isn't just one way. But but don't be afraid to come in and show not only what you know, but maybe what you don't know. That's fine. I think our students sometimes are worried about that, of showing something that they don't know already. But that's what college is supposed to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both. That's, that's been great. On that note, we're going to wrap this up. Our thanks to Jeremy Taylor, class of 2019, and music professor, Donna Grazia. Thank, Thank you. you, you.
1: Thanks, thanks for And much. to all who've stuck with us this far, thanks for listening to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. Until next time.